self-ingratiating. It's just pastor speak. These are the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And yet, even for us to study a, a book written to a pastor about pastoring and about being deacons and the leadership of the church, I just look at this as scripture, and if all scripture is given by inspiration of God, then it must, then the next phrase must mean uh, that it's also true that it's profitable for every area of life as well. And so as Paul calls out these false teachers, and as Paul calls out many of the errors that Timothy is going to have to deal with now, then the intention was that it would also be read to the church that was there. And just like, um, just like any week when we come and focus on the scripture, we can learn from it, we can grow from it. No matter what the content is, if it's given by God, it's meant for us to fix something in us, to help us believe deeper, to help us change in some way. And so that's obviously one part, is that we hold so strongly to the inspiration of scriptures that it's meant to be profitable, that anywhere we turn, basically, we can open it up and glean from it, be edified by it. And secondly, the, the other reason is obviously Timothy wasn't always a pastor. He was just what you'd think of as a church member, we would say, just a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. And so the same instructions that Paul's been giving to every protege, not just the ones who catch it, but to every one of his disciples, the disciples of Jesus Christ, whether it's a pastor or not, the same truth is for all of us. And so, like I said, we'll just be getting into the book of 1 Timothy, learning to be a Christ follower, elevating and emulating Jesus Christ. And I like what one pastor said just last night, Pastor Thompson, whom we go to camp with there in Newport Beach. Um, he just said, my wife and I don't want to train good kids in a Christian culture for 18 years. We passionately desire that God will use us to rear godly disciples of Christ who will love him and live for him for a lifetime. And just that disciple-making mentality, not just a disciple life that I'm living, but that I'm to live and make other disciples as well. That's exactly what Paul taught his followers. We see that in 2 Timothy where he says, All the things that thou hast heard among me of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. And so the disciple-making ministry is what Paul was in. And this book is a disciple um, of Christ training another disciple to go make other disciples as well. So with that as our introduction, would you please stand and we'll read just a few verses here in the first chapter as today will be just the background information of what the book is and why it was written and the different things that this young man was having to deal with as he was basically being sent off to, to tackle one of the hardest topics you can think of. First Timothy chapter 1, we'll read a few verses, kind of bounce around in here and get, get the overview of this chapter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, I'm not, not going to belabor this in the sermon, so I'll mention it here, that God is the Savior, God and Jesus are one, and in the Old Testament he was seen as our salvation. And here in the New Testament, Paul is bringing that up again here. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine 
Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a faith and fame, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. There's where the false teachers come in. And so, verse 11, the antidote to this false teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul says, just go preach that. You'll be all right. But here's this, uh, another aspect of Timothy's job down to verse number 18. <clears throat> verse 18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that, that thou uh, by them mightest war a good warfare. Oh, it's going to be a battle, son. Holding faith. And a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Timothy, here you are in this church in Ephesus. I did my best there while I was there. I have to move on. But you're going to have to deal with these leaders, these false teachers Going to have to exercise some church discipline and kick them out of the church for their false doctrines. Enjoy ministry, son. And he kicks them off and sends them on his way with this task in front of him. And so let's pray as we look at the scriptures now. Father, thank you for the time in the word this morning. Dear God, I want every church member to be edified by this. I want us to come away from, from, from a look at this elderly gentleman's ministry passing on. Uh, these thoughts to his protege, to his own son in the faith, to this one that really captured who Paul was and what he was trying to do. And I just, I pray that we can all have that same spirit, not as pastors, not as church leaders, but truly as just disciples of you, that we follow you with our whole heart the way Timothy did. And bless us as we try to even learn more about that this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. It's amazing to me how fast life changes, and I'm only 30, how old, 33, and already I realize that, I, I, and yet being old enough to remember the 1990s, I still think of the 1990s like, oh, it was 10 years ago, and the 80s were 20 years ago, and the 70s were 30 years ago. That's just math. It's just simple math. World War II, it was, right, it was 50 years ago, and that's the way it's always been, and it's not going to change. Here we are in 2020, folks. 30 years ago was 1990. That's hard to imagine. And it was more like the Vietnam War was, was in the same past as the World War II in our minds. This, we're, we're only one generation uh, into this, this, this life cycle, and we've already seen loads of change. And in many ways, what we're looking at in the book of 1 Timothy is only one quick generation removed from Jesus Christ himself. We're talking about Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was here preaching and teaching and healing and developing his own disciples to go make other disciples. And we are, we're, we're with people who saw Jesus Christ with their own eyes. And yet only a generation removed from that, and already we're seeing issues in these churches that are popping up. 
And already this is, this is the church at Ephesus where the letter of Ephesians was written to. This is the church that Paul spent three years. He spent three weeks in some places. He spent three years in Ephesus training and teaching and challenging the Jews that were opposing him on every term. And yet on his way out of town, he said, I've been here three years. I've been trying to plant this church and these churches all around. I've been trying to establish these leaders. And he says, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And and also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things. He had his eye on church members who he knew were going to be in trouble when he left town. When Paul the apostle was gone, he says, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every night and day with tears. He says, you have to watch out. And he knew that there'd be a tough road ahead for them. And yes, they're one generation removed from Jesus Christ. And yes, this is the church that the Apostle Paul himself established and built up and trained. And yet he knew there's some people in this church who just have a bad history. They just can't get over their past. They just can't get past this old Judaism that they were, that they were entangled with. And they want to mix this with Christianity. And it's not going to fly in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Their doctrinal error that they're going to try to bring in, they're going to sneak in and they're grievous wolves And according to the last verse we read, that's of Satan. Their false doctrine is the demonic doctrine that they will use to trick people. And we don't know exactly what their doctrines were. It's not exactly what we see in Galatians. It's not exactly what we see in any other books of the Bible. But we understand kind of like when you're listening to your mom's conversation on the phone, you only hear her side of the conversation and not who she's talking to. And yet you can kind of piece together based on half of the conversation what's going on. And so when we're reading the book of 1 Timothy, we don't necessarily know exactly what the issues are because this is just a conversation between two men. This isn't a letter to a church that's addressing some certain problem that we can say, okay, they had a problem with Gnosticism and they thought their minds were better than Jesus and they they approached this issue. This isn't one issue that we know they're approaching. This is just a conversation between two pastors saying, here's some issues that you're going to have to confront we can kind of piece this together, of of this man, the Apostle Paul, training this one who he's been mentoring, who has become a carbon copy of himself in some ways. We think of Timothy, this young man who has yielded to God, and they knew as they talked to each other what the errors in the church were. We don't necessarily know the specifics because it's just not addressed. We do know a little bit about it, that again, it was some form of, of Judaism, kind of a convoluted sect of it, in that they were, they were focusing on more conspiracy theories. It was, it was true back then, too, where they look at the genealogies, and they would study the history of what this name means, and they would really focus down deep on the he begat him, and he begat him, and he begat him, and they pull all these theologies out of, you know, First Chronicles 1 through 8. I mean, there's almost nothing edifying in those chapters. <laughs> The, the, the genealogies of eight chapters of begats, you get your Bible reading done really fast when you go through that section. I know, we'll just be honest. They had, our, they had their concepts about them in verse number four. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. And even if we don't know exactly what they were dealing with, we understand that Paul was saying what they're teaching is not edifying. It's not building anybody up. It's not helping anything. 
And they're focusing so much on this, and it's just, it's just creating unnecessary questions. I'm not talking about being a drone that follows whatever the preacher says, and you can't think for yourself, and you're never allowed to ask questions. But according to what the Apostle Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if there's doctrines that are just causing confusion and questions, that's a doctrine of the devil. That's not me saying that. That's him saying that about doctrines that were not so biblically based that all they did was produce questions and questions. Well, what about this? If it's not explicitly stated in Scripture and there's no answers in Scriptures, Paul says there's people in the church that are going to be producing these questions that have no answers. They're not helping anybody. They're not edifying anybody. And so they're causing unnecessary divisions. And so Paul says, you're going to have to deal with that, Timothy. You're going to have to deal with that, and you're going to have to approach that. And so Timothy, knowing that he's going to have to go into this, he's been traveling with Paul, trying to learn everything that he can from him, trying to glean him, trying to become that carbon copy of him. He and Titus had been traveling along with Paul, and they are this, this, this my own son in the faith, Paul calls both of them, and only those two men does he say that of. And after he leaves, he drops Titus off in Crete and, and tells him to establish and ordain elders in all the churches that are on Crete. And then goes on to Ephesus, where he had been before, but Timothy is back now, and he has to leave Timothy here in Ephesus. And verse number one says, I'm going on to Macedonia. Or I'm sorry, verse number three. Paul has to continue on to Macedonia. And so as he's in Macedonia, he's writing these letters back to his pastors back in Ephesus and back in Crete. And this book of 1 Timothy is Paul just being removed from them by just a short amount of time saying, you know what, I'm going to encourage you, Timothy. I want you to be strong in these ways. And, and, and I want you to carry on this doctrine that I've taught you. And I'm not there. I can't be with you. I'm, there. I'm not holding your hand. That's not what this is about. But boy, this is a pretty big job. This is a pretty scary proposition for these young men because we read the verses in chapter 1, verse 18, that look, there's these two teachers, especially these two prominent leaders, these, those Sunday school teachers, where's Brother John, you know, all these Sunday school teachers that are teaching things, and we think they are teaching some kind of heresy that is a doctrine of Satan, and you're going to have to get those leaders out. You might look at this young man, Timothy, and say, I don't know if he's up for that kind of job. I don't know if he's strong enough to do this. And yet if you look at Timothy through the book of Acts, which is more of the narrative, the backstory of the Apostle Paul and his travels and who he met along the journey, that's when we meet Timothy. We don't necessarily know when he got saved, but on one of Paul's journeys, his first journey is going through Iconia and Lystra and, and, and um, Asia Minor, the, all these cities within Asia Minor, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, there in Acts chapter 14. You remember the story of what happens when he goes into Lystra. He walks in and there's a, there's a man with lame feet and he says unto him in a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leapt up and walked. And, and the superstitious people of that city see him perform this miracle of the lame man who is now running around the streets. And according to some traditions, this is just history, it's not Bible, but some traditions say that there was a destruction of the city of Lystra and they attributed it to the gods. And they said, because they rejected the gods in the past, then we don't want to reject the gods. And so they started calling, and we do see this in Scripture, they call, they call Paul and Barnabas, they call him Mercury and, Ju and Jupiter. And they start saying, boy, you guys are gods. 
And they start worshiping him and they go get the bullock and we'll slay the bullock and we'll, we'll offer sacrifices to these gods. They can heal this man who was lame. And Paul and Barnabas start renting their clothes and saying, no, no, don't worship us. We're not God. And they start preaching the eternal God and the actual God. And they just use that as an opportunity to preach the gospel of the real God. And people are starting to get saved. And the Jews see this commotion going on in their town. And they rouse up a mob and they stone Paul. They, they, they take great stones and they start beating him across the head and they start beating him across the chest with these stones so much that his cracked ribs and his cracked skull and he's bleeding so that they literally thought he was dead. And there in Lystra, they drag him outside the city and they dump him on a rock heap and they leave him there supposing he was dead. And the disciples gather around Paul there, no doubt praying for him, for his healing. And I believe it was just some kind of a supernatural Occur where he, uh, occurrence where he gets up off of that rock pile and you know where he went. He walks straight back into the city of Lystra and continues his ministry of preaching the gospel to exactly those ones who had beat him and left him for dead. And no doubt during that, that small town atmosphere, everybody knew who Paul was, everybody knew what he was and the message that he was bringing. And that's the town that Timothy is from. And so it was perhaps at that time that Timothy was saved we don't know much about him. We know he has a, a Gentile father who is, no, who is no longer on the scene, most likely. He had a godly mother and a grandmother. And the second time Paul travels through that area, Timothy had been growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Acts 16 says he came to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple there was there named Timothy, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, and his father was a Greek which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Here's this young man who had a great testimony in this church after apparently this, this tumultuous introduction to the Apostle Paul. He was a follower. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and, and as a young man, he was an active member of the church and obviously led by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and as Paul travels back through there, he gets to link up with his spiritual hero, Paul. And he gets to go along with Paul and his journeys from then on. And Paul notices this young man, and this young man notices Paul, and Paul mentors and teaches and trains and encourages, and finally as a man that is just like him, close to his side, along with him in prison, going everywhere next to him. And he has glowing terms about Timothy. He speaks of Timothy very, very highly as this young man, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 1 and 2, we see in verse number 2, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, my own son, my, my true son, my genuine son in the faith. Like I said, the only other person he said that about was Titus. And to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, Paul said, the, the way I disciple Jesus Christ, I want to be such a follower of Jesus Christ that I can model what Christianity is through my life. And he wasn't being arrogant when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. But he was literally saying, my life is what a model Christian should be. Not in an arrogant way, but in an instructive way to help people understand what does following Christ mean? What is a Christian supposed to do? Paul could say, follow me as I follow Christ. What I do, the sacrifices I make are the ways that we should live and surrender to the Holy Spirit. And when Paul told the church at Corinth that, 
Whereof I beseech you, brethren, be ye followers of me. And as he's writing this letter, he's not there with them in the church at Corinth. I want you to be a follower of me. For this cause have I sent you Timothy. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm not there to show you what a good Christian should be. But for this cause, I'm going to send you Timothy. He's just like me. He's exactly like me as I'm following Christ. He's following Christ the same exact way. Timothy, this young man, is a model citizen. He's a carbon copy of me. He's a faithful, he's my beloved son, faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everyone everywhere in the church. That's 1 Corinthians 4. You can check that out on your own. Timothy wasn't just a great disciple himself, but he was a model of what a disciple should be. He was an active Christian, even an example in his youth, where Paul could trust that even in, even in his youth, he could send Timothy off to Corinth to be the representative, to be the ambassador, to be in some senses the replacement of who the Apostle Paul himself was. And in, second, in Philippians, we see the same thing. Paul says, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. There's almost nobody better than Timothy out there. He knew Paul in 1 Thessalonians and Paul says, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith. Later on in 2 Timothy 3, he's writing to Timothy and he says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions which came to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. You fully know that. You know exactly who I am, what I've been through. You know me, Timothy. And so that's why he could trust him to send him to Thessalonica. And that's why he could trust him to send him to Corinth. And that's why he could trust him to send him to Macedonia there in Acts chapter 19. And that's why he could trust him to send him to Philippi. And that's why Paul could trust Timothy to be here in Ephesus. This young man who had who had his whole life ahead of him, who had a, a potential martyr's life as this young man, a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. He was definitely no weakling. And yet a task like this that Paul dropped him off there in Ephesus for would strike fear into anybody's heart. I mean, nobody wants to go against their elders and these men who are older, who are established in the church, who have their own Sunday school classes, who have their own home Bible studies, who are presenting all of these concepts that I'm not really well versed in. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what you're teaching. I just know the Bible. I know what Paul has taught me. I know what the gospel is. And I know what you're saying isn't lining up with the gospel. And so my duty, my command from God, my charge from the apostle Paul is that I'm to I'm to charge you to stop preaching this. Verse 3, charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Verse 18, war a good warfare, Timothy. It's going to be hard out there. And so verse number 2, unto Timothy, my own son in the face, gr faith, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace is that removal of the consequence of sin. Mercy is that removal of the pain and the misery of sin. Peace is what happens on the other side of grace and mercy. When God comes in, in verse number one, this commandment of God, this is the charge of God, this is the royal decree from God, and that's our source. Look at the end of verse number one. Jesus Christ, which is our hope. 
This message that you're, that you're attacking, this is not just a war for the sake of war. This is not just a, you know, you want to kick people out of your church because you don't like them. This is a spiritual battle because of Jesus Christ, our hope. He's the one we live for. He's the one that drives this message. Verse 11, this is a glorious gospel according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which is committed to my trust. This is not just pastor speak between two men. This is good for us because it's not just about pastors. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful message about the, the grace and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And yet, verse number six, here's the warning for which some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling. Swerved. Here's my Nerf gun that I got for my son this morning. I called him over. Hey, bring me one of your Nerf guns and some of your... Some of your, uh, your Nerf darts that they have here. Swerved there means it's not that I'm taking aim for something, taking careful aim, and oh man, I missed my target just by that much. I just barely missed it. Swerved means you're just kind of shooting from the hip. You're not really taking aim at anything. There's just nothing intentional about my aim. It's just that I'm kind of going through life as if whatever I hit, I hit. Que sera, sera. I'm going to study a little bit about this. I'm not going to really focus on what's most important. I'm just going to let come what may, and I'm aiming at nothing. That's what swerved means, to miss the mark, to just shoot from the hip, to just believe that I'm not really going to go through life intentionally, but I'm going to believe what I want to believe and hope for the best. I hope for that bullseye. I hope that I get a good life out of this. I hope God blesses me. I hope I raise my kids right. I hope my kids end up right. I hope I end up right. I hope things work out in my life. Yeah, I'm not really trying too hard. I'm not really doing too much as well as the effort from which some having swerved. You don't want me to pull this trigger, do you? <laughs> Hit somebody right between the eyes here. From which some having swerved, it's just not really taking aim, just passing the gun around as if it's, as if it's just haphazard part of life. See, I realized that there's so much in life where Paul later in his life says, I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm shooting for that bullseye. I have a goal. Last, year, last week we learned, it was last year, last week we learned through the Sunday evening sermon that it was about pressing toward the mark, having a goal, having not just a New Year's resolution, but like Paul, having a life goal that I'm pressing for, that I'm going for, and looking at 2020 as if I'm going to be intentional about where I'm heading in my life and, and, and actually aiming and taking, taking a shot at what I'm trying to go for. I may not hit it every time, but at least I'm moving in the right direction. Where Paul says, you know what, there's a lot of people who are just kind of going through life and they get so distracted, not on their goal, but boy, I ran. I don't know. World War III is upon us. I don't know if we'll ever survive this. And the media can cause our attention to be on the focus of Jesus Christ, to get off of Jesus Christ and onto everything else in life, and to swerve away from that which is most important. Where God, every sing, I mean, pretty much one day every single week is set aside to come apart from the world and come to church and gather together and focus on Jesus Christ and worship Him and get your eye on the bullseye and get your eye on the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. And that reminder is sounded out from the Word of God every single week. And yet we get so distracted by that. 
I know the preacher is saying that God is most important, but this Iran thing is pretty big. Well, you know, the impeachment was pretty big last week, too, and it's kind of down to nothing, too. These things that seem so big, they sure plop off pretty quick, don't they? And that's getting my focus on, I know, God, that, that you want me to focus on Jesus Christ and church, and I need to be there with the brothers, and I need, to, I need to maintain the unity, and I know all that. I know I need to stay in the Word, and I know Pastor preached about praying and fasting, and those are the bullseyes, those are the goals. But, but there's just so much else that's dragging me apart. Hey, I got my sister with that one. Oh, my nephew, yeah, Bryce, yeah. There's just so much else in life that distracts me, that draws my mind away from the command, the royal decree of God. There's so much else that, that, I, can, that I can be drawn away from. If it's not Iran and fear, then it's Star Wars, and that's what dominates the conversation, because that's what we're talking about all the time. Or it's the stock market, or it's this busy life. I just can't do so much church stuff. It's hard enough for me. I'm stressed out with my kids. I can't take aim for eternity. I can't even take aim into next week. I can't even take aim into the next 10 minutes. I was lucky to get out of the house this morning with both my shoes on. I'm with you right there. I forgot my belt today. Look at that. <laughs> Say, I can't even get my own life together. How do you expect me to get my eternity together? You say, that's what distracts me. What are you aiming for? The question of this hour is, is, man, Timothy, you have a goal in your life. You have this passion. You have this desire. This is what God is calling you to be right now. Focus on eternity. Say, I don't know if that's what my life truly is about. And kind of the question of this morning is, simple question, where's your aim? What are you really focusing on? Are you pressing toward the mark? Or have there been things in your life that have caused you to get off? to swerve off course, to just kind of shoot from the hip. I know I should be doing, you know, spiritual things that I hear about at church all the time, but I'm just a little bit distracted by that. I just can't give that much attention to God right now. I'll just kind of show up at life and see what happens. I'll just shoot from the hip and see where God takes me. Jesus, take the wheel. I don't know if I'm, you know, able to do that, and yet this is, this is what church is about. This is what the Bible is about. This is what preaching is about. And the Bible says so much more as you see the, the day approaching. Timothy, boy, you got this huge task in front of you. And Timothy, there are a lot of people who had a goal, who had a mark, who, who were pressing toward that prize, who are swerving. There's some who are actively doing it, and some who are passively doing it. But you know what? The answer for you, Timothy, is the same answer it's always been. Just preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Just preach Jesus Christ as the one who came to save. And placing your faith in Jesus Christ as the one who can realign your life into eternal purposes. Preach Jesus Christ as the solution to every problem, every question that you have. Don't get caught up in these, these vain janglings that are just causing questions. These, these things that are getting your mind Instead of being anchored and solidified in Jesus Christ, just muddying your mind with all these things that are out there that are causing temporal confusion. The Bible just says, according to what Paul is telling his young protege here, you know what, Timothy? You need to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
And your job as a disciple is the same job for every Christian everywhere, not only to be a disciple, but to be a disciple-making disciple. Go be a disciple-making disciple. Get people's eyes off of veering off of the course, off of these distractions, off of these fears of life, and get them back toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. Get back on Jesus Christ. Be a disciple-making disciple. Just a simple look at the life of Timothy this morning. Stand, if you would, please. And as we approach that concept this morning, you might think these pastoral letters are just for pastors. But you need to remember, these were men who were just church members before they were pastors. Everything Paul is charging them with is what he's been saying to converts throughout the entire time. Follow Jesus Christ. Let your life be about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to extend this public invitation, just a chance to respond to God's word. And if the fire is hot while the, while the blacksmith has it in the fire and he pulls it out, then he uses it while it's red hot to strike, while it's moldable and shapeable. And that's all the invitation times are for, are just a chance to say, where have I got off mark? Where have I veered off course? What am I fearing? What am I fretting about? Have I really, is my life about Jesus Christ? Just like Paul is telling Timothy's life to be. God's calling all of us to respond in some way, and so we're going to sing. Brother Grissom's going to come ahead with our invitation song. Again, this is just a chance to quiet your soul, a chance to talk to God about that. We're going to sing 496, I Surrender All. If you're unsaved or unsure about that, we have people that could show you from the Bible, give you Bible answers to your questions, and there are things that can get us to veer off course. Nobody here is going to try to make you a Baptist or make you give a speech to anybody. We just want to help people whenever we can. We just want to give them direction from the scripture. And so that's all we're going to do at this time. I'm going to pray. Brother Grissom's going to sing. And that's when these steps are open as kind of our altar, our chance to surrender something of our heart to God. And so let's pray. Father, we bow before you in humble spirits. And I want to have that kind of same spirit as Timothy, that he was known as a, a a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, and he was a faithful church member there in Lystra, and he was a man of renown based on just his testimony as a young man. And I I never wanted to be known, but he was the guy that was right beside Paul in jail, and he was the one who was the faithful preacher of the word all along the way. And thank you for that great model Christianity that he lived, even for us still today. I pray if there's somebody in here that's getting veered off course, that's getting dragged away by fears or by distractions of life, that they would realign, that they would get back on what's most important, that they would focus this week intentionally and not just haphazardly, not shooting from the hip, but truly taking aim at the bullseye, at the prize, at the mark that we learned about last week. And so bless all of us, Christians and non-Christians this morning. I pray that you'd speak to all of us through this invitation time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. As Brother Grissom sings, then you're invited to come now. I surrender all.